Good morning, Skyview Church. You're probably seeing me up here and going, oh no, it's not Stu. It's not Stu. Uh, But if you don't know who I am or you've forgotten, because I was calculating, I think it's been two years since I've been up here. So my name is Jacob Ashton. Uh, I'm the intern at Skyview this year for my schooling, which is um, a bachelor's in ministry at Ambrose University. I'm also a local minister, so this is all kind of in my wheelhouse, things that I'm working on and trying to improve on, so uh, thank you for letting me come up here and speak to you today. Uh, This morning I'll be preaching on John 6. Before we do that, let's say a prayer all together. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. So I'll be reading from John 6, 56 to 69. If you've got a Bible, uh, pull that out and we'll read that. I'm reading from NRSV. <laughs> Today, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless." The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, for this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So before I uh, jump into my preaching, I'm just going to pray for us and open up for God to be present with us. Father God, we give you thanks for today, Lord, for the fun we get to have with children, um, to the music we get to sing and the praise we get to offer. Heavenly Father, we just welcome you here. May your presence be real and made known to us. And may your word be spoken through me. May all the glory be given to you in every way. We give you thanks for everything that you do and pray. Amen. So when I first got this passage, I told a couple of my pastor friends and different people who are uh, pretty heavy into Bible trivia about it. And almost every single one of them looked at me and went, ooh, that's a big one. And I'm reading it going, I don't see it. What am I missing? And so that's a pretty big deal when you're reading something and you have a large group of people tell you this is, this is serious and you just can't find it. So then I began to wonder, am I missing something? Am I struggling to find it? Or am I stopping to let God speak to me? As I talked about this problem with Pastor Ryan earlier this week, I came up with this analogy kind of on the spot and I like it a lot. I imagined it as if, as I was reading scripture, I was painting a picture. I was adding color to the parts that I knew, I liked, and I took time to reflect on. But then when I stepped back from the picture, 
I found that very little of it was actually colored in. It was mostly where I was standing and looking, and the rest was left blank and colorless. You can think of this as kind of like, I only really let God work in the parts I wanted him to work. So I offer you this analogy because I think this scripture passage has a lot of depth to it, a lot of interesting things going on, and a lot not said on the surface. But if we're not careful, we can just miss it. So as we read, I'd like you to think critically and carefully on what I'm saying, and also just try to pin it against your own life. Think through how it affects you. The biggest question I see in this scripture is, why are people walking away from Jesus? What made his message so polarizing and hard to understand? Verses 56 to 59, if you still have that, that's that opening portion about the flesh and the drink. That's basically a shorthand for what Jesus has been talking about for almost the entire chapter. It's a much larger portion that I can't get into today, but I'd love for you to read at home and go through. It's basically Jesus is tackling a concept within Jewish culture that's so fundamental to who they are. He's tackling Passover and what that means for them. It's so intrinsic to their culture, their faith, and their identity, and Jesus is working on reshaping the entire thing and breaking it down and building it back up. He's using language like bread and drink to tie himself to the importance of Passover in their life. And he's asking them, what are you consuming, and how does it affect your life? It's a tough question for the Israelites, as stated in the passage, not because it's complex. It's not a hard idea for them to understand. Passover is who they are. But it's difficult for them to understand for a different reason. Jesus is asking them to go against their very core and identity. He's pressing into a question of what makes them them. You could say this in a different way. Jesus is deconstructing their faith, pulling it apart brick by brick. I really like verse 63, if you have that, where Jesus is making it clear that flesh alone is useless, that it holds no value. It adds nothing, and so he's telling them their tradition is empty. It's hollow, and their practices mean nothing unless they add something that he is seeking to offer. So this got me thinking, what at Skyview are our faith practices? Not inherently bad practices, what do we do? Well, we preach, we sing, we have kids' minute. Uh, I don't know if many of you know, but we have a food pantry now run by many of our staff and volunteers here. We have small ministries like youth or young adults and many other things. Or maybe you could ask, what in my life are my practices? What do I do day from day, and do the, does it add to my life? Does the way I pray or read my Bible or the friendships I have building into my life? I can tell you I found myself asking this question because I've often read my Bible and prayed just to check it off a list. I don't know if any of you have ever done that, but you kind of get home and you go, I gotta read, I gotta pray, okay. I'll do it really quickly. You say what you need to say. It's almost like kids when they say a meal before, or a prayer before a meal. They're looking at the pizza. They really want the pizza, and they just want to get it over with. So it's like, bless the food, amen. And it doesn't add anything. Yeah, sure, it feels good, but it, is it adding to your life? So then we're left with a hard question. What at Skyview or what in our own lives is our Passover? Maybe an act that seems well-intentioned, but is missing something, and it adds nothing. I hope you're starting to see why people are looking at Jesus in this passage and are struggling to want to follow him. 
It's not an easy question to ask, and I think it's an even harder one to answer. If you're pinned against this question, you often don't want to answer it. So then what are we missing? Jesus identifying something that they're missing, but what is it? What are they missing that takes it from an old past tradition and practice to something new? Well, John is fixated on an idea all throughout his gospel about the word. It's this idea that the word is made flesh. He opens his gospel with it, and he continues to use it all throughout it. It's not just a theological idea, like something that may be distant but makes sense to some. No, this is, to John, a present and active understanding of what the word God means. Jesus is the embodiment of spirit and flesh coming together, and John so intrinsically emphasizes this all throughout his gospel. When the spirit is present in the flesh, just as it is in Christ, it's transformed, and its meaning and purpose is changed. Another way you could look at this is Jesus both a citizen on earth and in heaven, present in both. And he has come to transform the meaning and purpose of all things. That flesh alone leads to death and emptiness, hollow practices. But when the spirit is present, flesh takes on new meaning. Purpose is given, a purpose given by God. So Jesus is showing that these old practices are empty and hollow. What does that look like to the Israelites? Imagine us at Skyview if someone came and spoke in front of us and said, your prayer means nothing. The prayer you do before each praise is dwarfless. It's a pretty hard thing to hear, and it hurts to hear it. But I don't think Jesus is saying this to say your practices are bad. He just wants them to change how they look at them. They're missing something, and they've been missing it for a long time. He's saying through him is the spirit and the word. And when the spirit meets the flesh or the word, it's given new purpose and meaning. So then we are called to reflect on how Christ impacts our life every single day and how Jesus might transform us at a fundamental level, how he's going to change our practices and habits just as the flesh and the spirit meet and transform into something completely different. We are only able to find Christ because he allows us to, he enables us. And so we need to ask as we're reflecting on how God impacts our life. Are we seeking God? Another way to put this is we've been given an opportunity to bear the image of God, that God poured himself into us. And so when Jesus is really concerned with the idea of flesh, it's because the flesh reflects God. But I'd like to ask you today, are are we always reflecting God? Or are we choosing to reflect something else? Maybe it's a habit you've put above God. Maybe it's a goal. For myself, I often find I just struggle to live out God in my every single day. There might be moments or experiences, especially when I'm driving, where I'm not always reflecting God. I don't know if a lot of you feel that, but (laughs) if someone's cutting me off, God isn't the first thing coming to my mouth. But for Jesus, he's asking, what are you reflecting? Is God there when you're acting, or is he not? Are we allowing Jesus to transform us fundamentally so that our very understanding and purpose are changed and formed and shaped in God? Or are we choosing to be 
resistant to that? Are we fighting against it? Are we putting up barriers? Jesus is trying to be very clear that the flesh alone means nothing. It's not, again, that it's bad, but that it's empty. So ultimately, what is the big challenge in this? What is Jesus bringing to the people? Why are they struggling to listen to him? What's the telos or the goal of the scripture? I really like in verse 56, and I'm going to reread it because I think this is where the whole passage lies. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Can you spot the key word? It's abide. Or a way to look at it is resting or being present with. It's the key to my message and what I think the key to this portion of Scripture. I really love how Peter responds to Christ's questions of if they're going to stay. Really questions of who am I to his disciples. And Peter correctly displays at the end of the passage where else would they go but into the arms of the one who gives them eternal life. I don't think Peter, when he asks where else would we go, is saying, if you can show me the right one, I'll go to them. I don't think it's a disingenuous question that Peter's offering. It's more of a, an honest response. I don't know where else to go. You've given me everything that I know. You've changed who I am. If it wasn't for you, I don't know what else I would have. And so when Peter says eternal life, I want us to rethink eternal life, not as just a heaven idea. You could think of it as fullness of life a full life. Just as the word is made real in John's gospel, so is eternal life made real now here on earth. Yes, it's, it's true in heaven, but it's true to say it is on earth right now. And so as you read and hear the word eternal life, please think of it more as a fullness of life now, that God is filling you to the brim and more. And so Jesus is coming to this community of faithful believers of Israelites that have lived their entire life knowing Passover as one of the most important celebrations of the year. It represents God's mercy and presence and salvation. And yet Jesus is there deconstructing what it means. But I think that's only half the story. He's also doing something else. He's building it. He's reconstructing what it means. Jesus is taking their empty practices and filling it with life and with spirit. Just as he's offering the same to the crowd, to you and I and to the entire world, he wants to take you and fill you up with his spirit and his life. He's reconstructing their faith into something new, something they've never experienced before, and it's so radical to them that many of them are just willing to say, that's too much. I'll go back to what I know that's good for fear that this just isn't it. But Peter knows that it's, it's it. Peter's willing to say, I'm taking that chance. I'm going to go for that because you've shown me that it's worth it. But the Israelites just don't know that. And to be honest, I think they're afraid to, to give it a chance. Jesus is changing this into something new. And the Spirit is meeting the flesh and giving it new meaning and purpose. He's transforming it. And not just the practice, but that through it, he's transforming the people. I like the analogy Jesus uses of food, and I was reading um, uh, 
an author talk about this passage, and he was relating it to fast food and how the Israelites are looking for a meal that's quick and easy. They're following Jesus because this guy's handing out bread. And I'm like, I haven't eaten a full meal, so if he's going to give me food, I'm going to take it. You know, if my parents take me out for dinner and they want to go to a restaurant I don't want to go to, well, it's free, so let's go. But this author also says, well, Jesus is offering a meal that takes work and effort. It's not just going to be ready the moment you show up. And so after Jesus performs his miracles earlier in John, giving out bread and food, they come back and they're like, round two, let's do it. And Jesus is like, you don't get it. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm not just feeding you. I'm feeding your heart and your spirit. I want to change why you want food into something you don't understand yet. So the food Jesus is calling us to eat, the question of what do we consume, it takes work and effort. The idea that the spirit meets flesh and transforms, it sounds great, but it isn't just a one, two, three fix. What I'm saying sounds great, but it's not going to be overnight that these things happen. I think that's a problem and a mistake many Christians stumble into where we hear a pastor offer a really great message and we think, um, that's going to be me. I just got to pray the prayers and then life will be easy and then it usually gets harder. I think what Jesus is offering takes effort. He's calling us to abide and rest in him, which takes courage and time and trust, a lot of trust. He's telling you to sit down with me and let go of the things that are worrying you. And you really can't do that without trust. It's a hard work. And, and, and that's why Jesus offers to his disciples, if you want to, walk away. In no way do I think Jesus is mad at the question of do you want to walk away? I think he'd be sad. I think he'd be wanting more for you, but he's not going to get mad at you. It's a question I think he offers very honestly in saying, it's hard to follow me, but there's more if you do. I actually think this question of do you want to leave is harder than his original challenge to the Israelites. It's a question he offers because if they choose to stay and abide in him, he's going to work with them to fill their practices and their life full of his spirit, full of this eternal life that he's offering to them. So it's easy to leave but if you choose to stay, then you're asking the question, well, who should I go to? Jesus is the one of real, eternal life. He's the one I've already committed myself to, like Peter says, that I've placed my confidence in you, saying that you are the Holy One of God. Staying is where the eternal, full life is. Now, I'd offer you the chance. Have you ever walked away from God and you're just ready to come back? Or maybe you've never taken that leap before, and this is the first time you're kind of hearing this. Or maybe you've kind of been dancing around the idea of Christ, and you're finding your practices are kind of empty and needing a filling. Well, I would encourage you, if this is it, then please seek out Pastor Ryan or Pastor Brittany for prayer. Build up a community around yourself of believers. Maybe come to the altar and pray, and we'll, we'll be there with you praying for you. This is your opportunity to say to God, I'm, I'm ready. I want to put in the work. I want to eat the meal you're offering. I don't want that quick fix anymore. I would say to you and encourage you, please come to God at least in the simplest of way with an open heart to receive his fullness of life. A spirit that wants to transform you and bring you life.
And so the altar is maybe where you find that. Or maybe it's in the music, or in prayer, or in community. But I would encourage you to chase that. Ask yourself, what is my empty Passover? What is my practice that leaves me with nothing? Do I need the spirit of life that Christ is offering? Am I living my life to the fullest and reflecting God through my flesh? Or am I leaving something else as my image I bear? Jesus is asking you, are you willing to stay? Because it's hard. But if you want to stay, there's a fullness of life prepared for you as you pursue me and as you walk with me. Very soon, Pastor Brittany will be sharing prayers for the people, an opportunity that our church does quite often where we pray for the world, our community, our church, and many other things like that. But I would encourage you as she prays to reflect. Do you share God's image? Are you full of his spirit? Are you seeking God and following him? A quote Ryan quotes a lot, or sorry, Pastor Ryan quotes a lot, um, that I quite like, is a description of faith. Faith Faith is a very long walk in the same direction. But you aren't walking it alone. God is right there with you. It doesn't make sense if God wasn't there with you, but he is there with you, helping you and pushing you and guiding you. So as you ask yourself, what is empty in my life? Am I ready to take that, take that leap towards him? Am I willing to follow him? Those are all really hard questions, but again, I would offer you the chance just to, just to ponder them and, and consume them and think about it. Who am I in Christ, and am I full with him?